In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Band Helsinki. And with me, the girl formerly known as the Blonde Bombshell, Miss Ann Carrigan. Why am I formally known as the Blonde Bombshell? Well, that's because I found the true fact about you. Uh Hey, I never claimed I was originally blonde. <laughs> uh-huh. That's like claiming I originally had hair. Um, okay. <laughs> I never claimed that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. 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 Well, how are you this evening, grumpy man? Uh, pretty good. You know, I, I had big news last week, and I, I forgot to give it on the air, and I, I feel really sad about it. Uh-oh. Well, spit it out. What is it? Well, I, I, you know, like I said, this was breaking news last week, so it's kind of old news now. But did you know that the Kardashians actually have a lingerie line at Sears? <laughs> oh, my God. I I don't know how I lived without knowing that. Thank uh, you. That's what I'm saying. I mean, how could me you? Know. Wow. I, uh, wow. I'll never forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure if you go in, well, they don't have a catalog anymore, but I'm sure if you go online, you can check out the Kadazrians in their fine lingerie. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoopee. In their joisy action. Oh, my God. Those uh, those shows should be stricken from the air. <laughs> stricken. They make Whatever. me stricken when I watch them, which I don't. But anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, I want to say, uh, great Scott. Great Scott. Yeah. Do you know where that Great comes Scott? from? What? Do you know where that comes from? No, I don't. Tell me. That comes from uh, the same one that says, Damn it, Janet. <laughs> the same one who did Damn it, Janet, Rocky Mountain Horror? Yeah. Yes! Good job! Oh, okay. Rocky Horror and Picture Show. Excuse me. That's right. One of my <laughs> favorite, favorite things. And, of course, the time warp, which is the dance. Yes. Right? Yeah. I know. You know it well. You could you could give lessons on the Let's time warp. do the time warp oh, again. But please don't sing. You can give the dancing lessons, and I was singing. Just step to the left. So, so why and why do you bring this up? And a jump to the right. <laughs> Put your Put hands, your hands your on hip. your hips. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, because uh, our guest uh, for uh, next week is none other than medium uh, Stephen Scott. Oh, awesome. Yes. And yeah, I all the way, the all the way from Scotland. How do you That's like that? Scott, very cool. Scotland, Rock and Hardy. Ooh, this, is, this is, seems like serendipity or something. <laughs> it could be. It could be synchronicity. That too. That too. That too. Well, that's awesome. And yeah, I see him in the chat room. Hey, Stephen. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Looking forward to talking to him. Or do we have to call him Mick Stephen? I don't know. How do those Scotch do it? I asked if we needed a translator because uh, mm. you know, he's from Scotland, but whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We'll do our best. We'll do our yes, best. Yes, we will. Yes. Anyways, um, last night I had my paranormal study group in uh, the Circle of Wisdoms in Andover. We meet once a month, and we always do some cool experiments and stuff, and it's a lot of fun. And last night we had a packed house. We had a bunch of half my class from the uh, paranormal CSI class showed up. And so awesome. It was really good. And we did a remote investigation with Mark Nesbitt from Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And Not to be confused with Mike Nesmith of the Monkees, but anyways. Well, actually, <laughs> same guy, but I don't want to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Any, anyways. Um, what uh, happened? What happened? We got some pretty good results, which was pretty amazing. Yes. Are you going we, to share? Uh, we, we, the members of my group actually picked up on a lot of information of the ghosts that supposedly haunt the place. Now, they had no, no, no way of knowing where they were going. Uh, mm-hmm. since they weren't going anywhere, but what they were going to view or whatever. And uh, it was really interesting. We had the uh, ghost radar thing going, and it picked up uh, some interesting words as well. And, and everything was uh, really interesting. We had actually had a couple of uh, the meters went off uh, as well in our end. So it was uh, kind of a unique experiment, and I'm sure we're going to do some more of it. So there you go. Oh, that sounds great. Wow, I wish I, I, wish I could have been there. I wish you would have. It was that really, was, really good. We live and, too far uh, away. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, that's not my fault. You could always move. Oh, <laughs> sure. I, I'm sure that will sell my house so I can move closer to you. Exactly. I mean, most people do. <laughs> it's just the way it is. So Head to the center of the earth, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. So if, if Scott's going to be on next week, do I have to wear my kilt? Oh, God. If you can wear it if you want, as long as I don't have to see it. Oh, we're going to have uh, a vision up by then. <laughs> Told you that vision world. Are you going to have the cameras up by then? <laughs> we'll have those up. I don't want to see your hairy legs. Thanks. Thanks How a lot. How do you know they're hairy? I shave my legs. No. <laughs> now you're really scaring me. <laughs> okay, we have, must have a guess or something before this goes down and you file the, the wrong road so. than it should. I hope so. So, who do we have on the show here, Ian? This evening, we would like to welcome our special guest, Derek Gunn, and he is—he uh, has a website called Amazing Massachusetts. And is Derek there? As, as, as opposed to what, sucky Massachusetts? <laughs> <laughs> Derek, are you there? I am there. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ann. Hey, Hi. how are you? Ron, I'm great. I'm not going to change my name of my website, Ron, though. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> Massachusetts. Can we no, say that I, on the air? <laughs> I don't know, but it's. I don't think it would sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, anyway. yes. 
So, so what is this amazing Massachusetts? I, I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Well, Amazing Massachusetts is a book I'm working on, and it's a website. Um, it's basically, I started around 92 investigating, you know, curiosities, oddities, uh, especially in the archaeological realm, but also in, you know, kind of the paranormal thing, um, cryptozoology and ufology. And so then I just started consolidating information. I would go through books, sometimes get original research, but a lot of times I went through books that were about, you know, fringe subjects, you know, your Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of things even sometimes. Um, and then I would just cull all the Massachusetts cases from those books. Mm-hmm. And it really started more with the archaeological and more like, um, you know, were there people here before Columbus, that kind of thing, with the, the Norsemen and things like that. And then it, it, it ended up that I was, you know, I'd be in a book that was really interesting and it would have other things about Massachusetts, strange rainfalls or, you know, sightings of strange creatures. So then I would start writing those down too. And then I said, well, I'm just collecting all stuff on Massachusetts, I guess, at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, but how to, would, to back up, what, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask you, do you, do you have like, you, you cover a lot of, because you cover so many things, do you have like, you don't really fall into a category, right? I mean, what yeah, would you call uh, what you do? Uh, well, there's a term called for, Fortean, F-O-R-T-E-A-N, and mm-hmm. it's uh, an adjective that's based on the name of Charles Fort, mm-hmm. who was a guy who, I guess he died around 1932, and he got a small inheritance. And what he used to do was he spent his um, hours at libraries and he would go through old, dusty books and newspapers and things, and he would just find strange, anything kind of off the beaten path, whether it's, you know, someone who appeared out of the woods in some town in Connecticut with, you know, no explanation, or um, strange rainfalls. He really was into that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> children raised by animals. Um, just wait a minute. What, kind what, of, what, wait a minute. What the hell is a strange rainfall? You know, like when people the say rainfall rain off or something? Well, you know, like sometimes people have claimed it rains um, frogs or frogs. fish or odd, you know, caterpillars or strange things. Um, right. The weirdest one. The weirdest one I ever saw was in 1969. This was not in Massachusetts, but in 1969 there was a September of 69. There was evidently a case, and I, I've got to Google this and really get into this. But there was a case that it, it rained golf balls or something, and I don't know <laughs> if that's or not, but uh, but yeah, it, it was in a book that I, that I came across, and uh, right. they said that they checked the local golf courses, and all that turned up were more golf balls. But I don't know. You know, I, I can't say it happened. I'm just saying that it was reported. But um, strange rainfalls. Charles Fort loved those kind of things. Uh, he, I believe, is the guy who the, coined the word teleportation, like oh. you teleport somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the term, I guess, you could say for the stuff I'm into is is Fortean phenomena. Okay. Um, but mainly, it really started. Um, well, if I could backtrack a second, it started in '87. I I bought a book from my father about the Highland clans um, and was wrapping it up to give it to him for Christmas. And I flipped ahead to, to the page with the, with the Gunn family. And, um, and down the bottom was like a footnote about this carving in Westford that said that. Yeah, the Westford Knight. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Part of the Westford yep. Knight. Great. Very good. And yep. uh, it said that this, there was a carving and it had uh, what seemed to be our shield on it. And it was circa, you know, 1398. And I said to myself, what the heck is... It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be Scotsman in Massachusetts in 1398, you know, or the area. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and then I got into the Westford Night, and, it, and basically that led me into sort of the, the fringe archaeology stuff with 
early explorations was there contact um you know with with uh people the even newport earlier tower. Than that, the newport tower and then things like dighton rock um yeah. and um and people you know tend to dismiss um that people could have come across earlier than that people did come across but if you look at the guinness book of records and you see how people go across the ocean in very small boats i mean you know like boats you can row and stuff so mm-hmm. certainly with the currents and stuff even by accident some people must have come here i think right and didn't there used to be i mean they talk about there used to be different you know land bridges and things that you know over the years disappeared that linked the continent. Well, that was kind of like before you and <laughs> before me. <laughs> no, well, there's well on, on, on a related idea that that people might have island hopped, you know, right. um, across like sort of the area um, where you know Greenland, and then and then gone over towards like where Canada is, and then, and, and they island hopped. So it wasn't really necessarily a a major undertaking like a transatlantic ocean type cross. You know what I mean? I mean, it mm-hmm. may have been island hopping even, but. Right. One way or the other, I think some reason people don't have a barrier with people coming to the West Coast, and you'll look and there's, there's evidence that maybe the actually ancient, uh, you know, Asians were here by boat. I don't mean the migration with the with the Native Americans. But I'm talking in between, like now and then. There was you know, there's theories that the Chinese and the Japanese, you know, hit the West Coast and were down towards like Mexico and different things. And that doesn't seem to meet a lot of. You know, and actually, in my, in my in my book, goes today that they have a Viking ship in the desert in the West. Really, I've yeah. heard about that. It's in a canyon wall or some crazy thing, right? It's yeah, it's uh, in my book goes today. There's uh, uh, an entry on it. So there's, we don't know. There's so many. Uh, anyways, that stuff you, it, it's amazing, and, and trust me, uh, I will buy this book. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever finishes it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You got to finish it to get it right. No, um, it's been a labor of love. I mean, what happens with me is, um, and and I am going to finish it, but uh, it, it almost like it never ends because I mean, even even as recently as last year, uh, I was brought to a site in Middleborough, and a guy showed me a. Um, it was kind of like uh, some people would call it a dolmen. I don't think it was quite properly a dolmen, but it was like a balanced rock. It was a large stone um, that was split, and it was up on like three corner pegstones. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me that these peg stones were, I don't think this was a glacial thing. It seemed like the stones on the bottom were, um, they were mated to the stone above that they were cradling, uh, that they uh-huh. that they were perfectly positioned. I mean, if you see it, it did not seem to be a haphazard random thing. It seemed to have human agency to it. Um, so, I mean, I just keep getting new information, and <laughs> I have to make the cutoff point. Maybe there can be a volume two someday or something, but there has to be a cutoff point someday, you know, because right. uh, I've been you doing You can always it do a second one. <laughs> years or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know. So what are what, um, what about the Westford Knight? Um, now, obviously, you went and you found him. You looked at him. I mean, what's the theory? Are there any theories on how this drawing, etching, whatever? In the rock came to be there. Yeah. Um, well, the Westford Knight was what, uh, if I remember the story exactly, it was it was known as early as the 1880s, I believe, locally, and people thought that it was either Native American or that you know some boys had pecked at the rock. And I do believe there's been times where kids probably did peck at this rock, mm-hmm. but I think that was after the thing was there, and you know, kids have a tendency to deface things. You know, <laughs> right? Creative impulse can be a destructive impulse too, and. Um, 
but the, the, it was known locally. It was in a history of Westford book back in the 1880s. And then it, it kind of languished in attention until, I believe, around 1954. And it was uh, studied again by um, Frank Glenn. And uh, there was a lo- there's a lot of research that's gone into the Westford Night. There is even right now there's a Westford Night committee. There's been many, many, you know, you could do a whole radio show just about the Westford Night. But uh, the Westford Night, actually it seems have. to be, oh, you've done one. Yeah, you can actually go on iTunes and listen to Ghost Chronicles. This is an entire episode of investigating the Westford Life. And the boat stone that goes with it. Exactly. Yes, that's in the, it's in the J.V. Fletcher Library. Well, that's yep. one of the reasons I think the Westford Night is really a, a, a real thing. I mean, it has a, a companion stone that's in the, that rests in the library that seems to be um, punch-marked in the stone in a very similar fashion. And the the Westford Knight is really an intriguing case because it seems to be late medieval, you know, 1390s, and it may be Sir James Gunn. They seem to think that, you know, they even maybe know who the person was that died there. Ah. He was on the voyage with, you know, Prince Henry Sinclair, who was the main guy. Hmm? And um, and uh, they, you know, it's it's uh, it, it almost, almost went on the Register of Historic Places, but it was denied. Oh. And I was really... Really hoping it would make that cut because imagine if they said that if it was recognized by the state, then we would mm-hmm. actually be saying that there were Europeans in America before right. Columbus. I mean, it's like almost 100 years before Columbus, and it's like 222 years before the Pilgrims. So it's really does it, does it really matter though? Um, does it matter if it's recognized? No, does it really matter if, if there were Europeans here before Columbus? I mean, it really to me, I could give a rat's ass. <laughs> I think most people feel like you do, but there's some academics and some people who are naysayers, and they don't want to, they don't want to break the paradigm. But you know what's interesting, you guys, is if you get into the Westford Night, and you probably maybe this was mentioned, but it seems that there were um, other Italians. There were, you know, the Zenos. There was that uh, I don't know if it was Antonio or Nicola who came over. One of the Zeno brothers made this voice so there were other italians so you know italians can even you know don't have to get excited at me and they can be happy that they're <laughs> <laughs> but, you know i don't want any you know you know i've heard of columbus i've never heard of the prince henry sinclair character i've had that said to me but uh there might have been other italians on this voyage um because they were from venice and they were expert as i understand in uh, map making and the cannons mm-hmm. so they there were italians um present on this voyage so it's an interesting case and then it, what gets really interesting because I come from Marshfield, Mass, is there may be a shipwreck from this voyage that's off of Brant Rock. Really? And, uh, if you look at Bob Cahill's book, uh, New England's Ancient Mysteries, there is a picture oh of God. a shield that was pulled up in 1954, and uh, the whereabouts are now unknown, but they think this shield might be like a Knights Templar shield. There may be a shipwreck there. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoons have from the 13, maybe from the 1300s have come up in the area by divers in the 70s. So, a, you know, there may be, there may be, and, imagine if you could find a shipwreck that would really... And our respect to Bob Cahill, God rest his soul, is he wasn't the best historian. He, he tend to exaggerate a little bit in his books. I, I'm not well, you know, when you have people like uh, Edward Rose, I, I agree with you, to, uh, Edward Rose Snow and Bob Cahill, I've heard that about both of them. The thing about Bob Cahill I noticed was, I spoke to him on the phone years ago, but he's now mm-hmm. gone, but I, he, um, I don't think he was a real scholarly type of guy. I mean, he was, but um, he got most of his information from, for that book, New England's Ancient Mysteries, from, mm-hmm. from Jim Whittall. And Jim Woodall was deeply involved with the Newport Tower and with the Westford Knight. And, mm-hmm. and Jim Woodall was, was, a, was a sort of archaeologist and was a bright guy. Um, 
So when I called Bob Cahill, I had some questions for him. He said, I got all that stuff from Whittle. So, but, <laughs> the yeah, end. <laughs> but, he, but he did, but, you know, but I agree with you. He was, I think if you were writing a college paper and you cited one of Bob Cahill's books, maybe the teacher would say it's not a scholarly book. On a side yeah. note, I actually know someone who, uh, and th this is great because Cal Cooper is coming over here from, uh, he's a parapsychologist from the UK who wrote a, a book uh, called Phone Calls from the Dead. I know a person who actually, you know, a very reliable person who had a conversation with Bob Cahill on the phone after he was dead. Really? So oh. how's that? Spooky yeah, or what? How's That's that? interesting. <laughs> wow. Did he, did, he, did he fess up and say that he really wasn't sure what he was writing about? I mean, what? What's that? No, that's... that's <laughs> no, no, no. He, he, he actually worked with uh, Bob Cahill. Uh, uh, he's he's in a lot of his books. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but anyways, yeah, so... That's, that's amazing. I've never heard that. Pardon me? I said that's amazing. I've never I've never heard of that. I mean, that's... I would, yeah, it, it's, it's actually not uncommon, uh, phone calls from the dead in Cahill and... Cal Cooper's book, he cites a lot of cases. But the interesting thing about Bob as well is, I don't know if you knew that, but he was the sheriff of Essex County as well. And uh, if you know anything about the Salem Witch Trials, is the last uh, witch to be put to death was uh, uh, the guy who was stoned, I forget his name. Giles, Giles, Corey, Corey, Giles Corey, right. Mm -hmm. And he pressed to death, yeah. Yeah, and he put a curse on all the sheriffs of Essex County. And every sheriff uh, since that time supposedly had some had to leave office because of some type of a blood disease, heart attack, or something like that. And Bob, as sheriff of Essex County, ran into that same problem, and he ended up uh, leaving office and went, founded uh, Softbox Publishing and started writing ghost books. So uh, mm. it's really, I mean, it's strange. It really okay, is. Dad. That, I know Giles Corey. I heard about that curse, and so so even Bob was a piece that I did not. I didn't make that connection before. That's funny. That's great. So he. Uh -huh. So that's why he started writing because he gave up that other job. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh -huh. uh, hey. See, Van Helsing is a wealth of knowledge. Oh yes, yes, always. Tied all so, together. So <laughs> speak, speaking of the rocks now. Yeah. Because you have a lot of rocks, Derek, on your website. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that didn't yeah. come out right, did it? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> and you have all these, these standing stones. And yeah. what is the significance, or do you have any theories on the standing well, stones? The, again, when, okay, when you get into, like, some of these, some of these um, remains, let's say standing stones, and let's say chambers. I can mm -hmm. say some of, things, like some of these stone caves called, they call chambers. Um, I don't think there's any one answer, and I think they're from different time periods, which makes it very difficult. Um, like, let's say some of these chambers. Some of these chambers probably are um, colonial time period and mm -hmm. forward, okay? And, but I think there are a few, and there probably are some in New England that, that seem to be ancient. And so it gets very, um, when you get people on either side of the fence about this issue, you know, mm -hmm. some people say there are all these ancient Irish, you know, beehive huts and chambers and stuff. And then you get to the other people say, those things are just root cellars from the colonial days. The real answer is probably that there are both. And, mm -hmm. again, like the balance rocks, some of those are probably the agency of, of, of glaciers, and, uh, and some of them are, are probably done by people. And um, the standing stones, um, they have, there, are, there are probably in the 
hundreds of standing stones in New England, um, mm-hmm. and and some of them are, are probably ancient, I believe. But yet I know that in Plymouth, I just saw a medical building go up uh, within the past year, and the guy operating the Bobcat put up a standing stone, you know, on the edge of the property, and uh-huh. it's a standing stone about a year old. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are the kind that I'm not looking for, but right. are, I mean, a human human uh, endeavor or something that people like to pile up rocks, people like to stand up standing stones. And mm-hmm. um, the standing stones, some of them um, work in as a, um, in terms of uh, calendrical stuff, as if you stand in a certain spot and you look in the distance, there'll be like a notch in the hill in the mm-hmm. distance and maybe on like June 21st or something like that, you know, you, there are some that work like that. And there's some that maybe memorialize an important person or something happened there. Maybe somebody's importance buried there. Um, so there's not really any one answer as to what they are, but there's actually multiple um, scenarios involved. Okay. All right. So there could be any any number of reasons from, you know, ancient to, I mean, what about aliens and things like that? Or are they all tied into that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, people tie in uh, Stonehenge with um the UFO mm-hmm. thing, and right. um, they've tied in Merlin with uh, Stonehenge, too. But I think the standing stones in New England tend to be smaller, obviously, than things you see in Wales or in Normandy or, you know, in England. And um, But there is, I believe, a nine-foot example in the Berkshires, which is pretty – that's a pretty good-sized standing stone. Yeah. One um, I found in Marshall is five feet tall, but they – you know, they – uh, I don't think that we have to um, enlist the aliens necessarily for standing stones in, in the mm-hmm. new world. Um, okay. Now, th- I mean, some of that megalithic culture stuff that's down in, you know, South America and stuff, I mean, that amazes me. But I think the stonework I've seen around here you could ascribe to uh, Native Americans or, like I said, visitors. And like I said, people are still, I mean, that guy took the machine, you know, last summer and put up one behind a, on the side of a parking lot next to a medical building. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, I mean, right. that was used to me. But I don't think we need to necessarily enlist the aliens on this one. Okay. I, I am, you know? <laughs> we have a question, Derek. Um, uh, will there be directions on how to get to these different Massachusetts oddities if or if they're on public land? Do you have any, any um That's guidance? a good idea. My, my um, thing that I've always done with um, with things like that. And I, I want to give a shout out to the homeowners, uh, landowners. A, a lot of different properties have been quite kind to me through the years and let me um, check out things. I've only had one or two problems where something didn't work out and the person wasn't very accommodating. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like 98% of the time, people have been great and um, said, you know, I hope you find out what it is because I'd like to know too. But um, directions, if something's like um, Dayton Rock State Park, I would certainly, I think I should put that up there. Um, I, I refrain usually from given directions just because you don't want people walking through somebody's backyard. Right, so, right. I've gone up to we, houses and, and knocked, you know, and said, hey, <laughs> you know, you don't know me, but I'm really into this stuff, and do you mind? Derek, to, 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 I, we just work. need to take a break. With a we'll be right back. Friday Nightcap Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight with Christy and Laura on Toginet.com. Broadcasting from their scrappy kitchen in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. They've got nothing better to do than riff with their favorite Brooklyn-based independent vendors, artists, bands, bartenders, foodies, weirdos, and news stories. Featuring the live studio audience. Betty Rehab and the Gay Boys. Sex and dating commentary with the impersonal. Sex 
The unknown political masked man. And people who kind of know stuff. Stream on after your long week. Brooklyn's variety show of madcap intellectualism. Friday Nightcap Radio with Lauren Christie, 10 to midnight Eastern on Toginet.com. Radio like you've never seen. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our guest this evening, Derek Gunn. Hey, we're back. Hi, Ron. Hey, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, what other, I mean, you talk about oddities. What other oddities are you looking at? Um, can people see on your website? Um, some of the things I've been interested in uh, through the years um, are, are, you know, UF. UFO reports. Um, it started actually around the same time, around 93 or 94. I was, I was in a library and I was reading a book that um, Edward Rowe Snow, who was mentioned briefly earlier, wrote. And he said that Massachusetts cases of UFOs were far and few between. So I decided to look into that. And I got about over 260 cases in about two or three weeks where I went through books at different various public libraries. And um, basically I only took cases where they had the date. So if they had, like, October 17th, 64, I used it. If it was just, like, sometime in 64, I didn't use it. So I have this list of, of almost 270 cases. It's more now because it was back in the 90s. <laughs> but um, I have cases. And what's interesting from the Massachusetts viewpoint and for our local listeners um, is that what it would probably be called the first UFO report in U.S. history was in was in the Boston area, was in uh, the Muddy River area, uh-huh. which I over by Brookline, and uh, James Everall and uh, a couple helpers were in a skiff. They saw this light that was going to the distance and then coming near them, and it was a really interesting case because they said when it was near them, it contracted in the form of a swine. It <laughs> makes me think Pink Floyd or like Amityville Horror or something. <laughs> they, they, they said that it, it bothered them for uh, a while, like it wasn't just like a 10-second event. I mean, it was a while, mm-hmm. and they were huddled in the bottom of the boat because, um, of course, they thought it was the devil, you know, 1638. Right. Um, they thought they were dealing with the horned one himself, you know. And then they, when, they, when the thing finally left them, the interesting almost modern flavor of it was that they were up this, the river, even though the tide was running. They, sh- they really weren't where they were supposed to be, and they noted that. And they all went before some kind of judge and swore that they were sober and discreet men. <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, you know, and so we have a, a, an anomalous aerial phenomenon uh, as early as 1638 or 39 up in the Boston area. And um, so I got very interested in ufology. I've never seen a UFO, but I got interested in that, uh, in collecting cases and trying to talk to people about that. Um, other things I got interested in were like the cryptozoological stuff, you know, the Bigfoot sightings, puckwedgies, lake monsters, sea serpents. Puckwedgies. Um <laughs> Just love that. I love that name. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it great? It's actually kind of sad. Um, I believe I'm correct in saying this, that um, that because the Native American culture was just about, like, decimated here, I mean, people were almost, like, forced to be live like white people and, and convert and stuff, to the degree that I don't think Pukwudgie is actually the word in this area that was used. We don't know the word. I believe Pukwudgie is a a Native American term that's actually from, and I forget, I want to say it's like Vermont or New York or something, but it's, it's not the term that, you know, would have been used, say, on Cape Cod. You know? like, oh, right. Actually, okay. We don't know the word anymore because it was lost to the, you know, mists of time and because of, of, of what happened to the Indians, you know? Wow. 
But I mean, uh, I, you know, if you look at it's interesting because this whole puck wedgie thing for my for my cases in Massachusetts here, um, uh, there was a small a Bigfoot like creature seen um, on the island in the Nip, Lake Nipponicket, in around 1980. Lauren huh? Colt, I think, investigated that. And the other <laughs> thing is, um, if you read Ceremonial Time um, by John um, Mitchell, I think it is, he talks about how he was doing a ceremony with some Indians up by Littleton, Mass., and they were dancing around a fire at night, and this little upright bear jumped in the circle with them, and oh. he was kind of f***ed out, you know, and he's looking like, what is this thing? And, after, <laughs> and it was there for a few revolutions, and it left, and he asked his Indian friends, um, you know, what the heck was that last night that jumped in the, or whatever? <laughs> and they, they just said it was an ancestor, and they didn't really want to get into it, and they didn't really want to get into, into details with them. I mean, he was trying to pursue it with them. And so the, the, the way he described it almost sounded like a, a Pukwudgie, like a small, right. very humanoid creature, you know? Right. I actually know someone who actually, uh, uh, well, I guess you would say co- did combat with Pukwudgie. Uh, one of the cases that... Uh, uh, I worked on it was actually documented of this similar type of creature. Hmm. Was that, that, that Lake Freetown it, or down that way? It was no, this was in New Hampshire. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was the first case that I really. Heard. Of course, you can see the famous uh, video online of uh, Maureen uh, when she was transchanneling the Pukwudgie in uh, Freetown State Forest. Uh, that's still online. So I will have to check find that. Wow. Okay. So Do you know, to go. tie together the chamber thing, Ron, where we talk about the ancient stone chambers, is, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I, this was not Massachusetts, but it was somewhere in New England. Somebody said um, that they were looking at a chamber, you know, from a distance, mm-hmm. and one of these little puckwudgies, or I think it was two, actually ran out and sort of challenged, you know, like ran out, like, what are you looking at? Right. So it was a really freaky story because it was a connection with a chamber with a small hairy, you know, humanoid, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I've been to different chambers, and, you know, they're kind of, like, musty and a little, uh, you know, then they're spooky in, in a sense, uh, you know, but I can't picture going, walking up to one and having something run out at me. That would have right. been probably... <laughs> um, so, so then, you know, some of, the, some of those things um, that I got into um, were real fringe things, too, like, you know, cases of spontaneous human combustion. And we, and we actually have a few cases in Massachusetts of spontaneous human combustion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Victorian uh, uh, mansion in Guider, uh Enos, was supposedly uh, died from spontaneous combustion. If you look at the uh, the news articles, they say he died in fire, uh, but uh, it's believed that he died of uh, spontaneous human consumption. I'm sorry, Ron, who was that again? Uh, Enos from the uh, Victorian mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts. I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Ah, okay. Yeah, see how it never ends? I told you. There you go. Uh, yeah, you one for you. You're on yeah. my turf now, you know, the paranormal. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> That's good stuff. Um, I um, Have you heard of Hoover the talking seal? No, that's no. a new one. <laughs> no, there what's was that? A, was, there was a harbor seal, and this is uh-huh. a real thing. There was a harbor seal who lived at the New England Aquarium mm-hmm. who came down from, I believe it's Maine. He was, he was a little baby seal, and this guy up in, I think, Maine put him in a bathtub. And then he started getting big, you know, and they get teeth. They'll, you know, they have good <laughs> teeth on them. And this harbor seal named Hoover came to the New England Aquarium, and he could say little phrases, and he made sounds that sounded like, 
get out of here and stuff like oh. that. And, different, <laughs> and they have them on tape. I mean, it's, you can actually, I think it's on YouTube. You can hear, the one on YouTube isn't really that clear, but people at the New England Aquarium, I mean, there was, he was in, I think, the Boston Globe. There was a Globe article when he died. And I just remember reading, I never saw him, but I remember reading that the director or somebody up there at the New England Aquarium said, Harbor seals aren't supposed to make these noises. So <laughs> Hoover the talking seal. Wow. And I, that his, he had some uh, offspring, and I think they were looking in to see if any of the offspring could manage to do the same thing, and I don't think oh. they did. But, but yeah, he, he supposedly he sounded like the guy that had saved him or whatever, or had him in the tub. <laughs> it sounds very familiar, like uh, very similar to the uh, talking mongoose from the Isle of Man and off the UK. Wow. What, what is that one? I don't know. I don't know that one. Is that is that a real thing? That, that, <laughs> yes. What do you think? I make stuff up? Give me no, no. I thought you were being funny. Like I thought you were being funny. I thought you were being, like. <laughs> so there was a talking. Did you say talking mongoose? Mongoose, right. If you go online, and I'm sure you look uh, talking mongoose, uh, Isle of Man, and I, uh, if you Google that, I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, Richard Felix, uh, my co-host from uh, Ghost Chronicles International, used to always talk about it. Wow. I've never heard of that. That's awesome. That's different. Well, you know, there are reports of, of talking animals. You know, and I don't, like I said, a lot of things in my book I've never, I, I, I didn't see it. I wasn't there. I'm just reporting that it was reported. I can't, you know, say for a fact that, that James Everall saw a UFO in 1638, but I just report that, you know, that it was Right. Reported. And, uh, right. One of the strangest things I have, you guys will kind of like this because it seems to be almost towards a poltergeist type phenomenon, but um, there was a case in 1963, it was the fall of 63, right around when, when Kennedy was assassinated. There was a family that had a house where it rained inside. Did you guys hear about that up in Methuen? Yeah. The water sprite. Yeah. The yeah. water, yes. And, and, it, and, it, and the part that makes me think it was like a poltergeist was it was, was that it it followed them. They went to the mother-in-law's house, and I think Lawrence, and it started yep. up there. And um, it's a really bizarre case, and I think that house still stands, and I don't think anybody's had any trouble since. But it's a really people, you know, I mean, evidently water started, you know, little spouts, little things of water started spurting out of the walls, and they would, like, rip. I mean, people saw this, policemen and stuff, different people. It was not any kind of magic or, you know, hallucination or anything. <laughs> And uh, just as mysteriously as it started appearing, it it faded out and disappeared over a period of a couple weeks or months or so. And uh, there was a that similar was in, case. Uh, that was in Bob Citrus's book, uh, Strange New England, I believe it is. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, a really famous case. I've actually seen the house and everything, so it's pretty cool. It was the Martin family, I believe. Yep. And then um, wasn't there a case, I think in that same book too, but wasn't there a case, I think, earlier in the 50s, it was either in New Hampshire or Connecticut, and the same, very similar type of thing, and the family's name was Waterman. Did you ever read that one? <laughs> no, I missed that one. That's, no, that that, that their name was Waterman, and they had the same thing basically happen. I thought that was like a really kind of, uh, you know, like almost like, uh, you know, you start to think that the, the universe is run by a trickster figure, you know, when you start hearing stuff like that, you know. <laughs> Uh, Derek, we have another question on yeah. the um, – now I have to flip back and find it here. Whoa, where'd it go? Uh, Stephen Scott actually wanted to know um, – he says the amazing Massachusetts site shows a lot of runestones and symbols, et cetera. Um, is there any – oops, I just lost my question again. <laughs> is there any information on the translations of these 
from the potential European or Scandinavian origins? Well, I can say this. Um, there, it depends on who you talk to. Like if you, there you go. just say, <laughs> say, say Dighton Rock, okay? Dighton Rock, I, okay. as I understand, has over 23 theories as to who wrote on it. I mean, it was known as far back as the 1680s, and so people, everybody has been indicted. I mean, uh, Jesus, Satan, um, <laughs> Mongols. No, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. The, the Mongols, um, the Chinese, um, and obviously the main players are the Norse, the American Indians, the Phoenicians, mm-hmm. and the... Um, the Portuguese theory um, of 1511, um, so it's you know post post uh, Columbian Columbus times. But um, uh, the the ones I have, I'm trying to think which ones I have just now. I have a stone from Norwell that I found actually. Oh, cool! Yeah, uh, yeah and, and it has some markings on it um, that I wondered if they were maybe in the uh, script a kind of a, a Celtic oem or maybe even a, a Celt Iberian type thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, people uh, a lot of times um, will say that these things are just, you know, accidental sc- accidental scratches or, pl- you know, marks made by farm implements, uh, you know, or or roots or something. I heard of the roots growing over rocks. I don't even know if roots will do that. Right. Um, you know, something like Dighton Rock that goes so far back. I mean, it was known, God, only 60 years after the pilgrims landed. Uh, I think Dighton Rock, my, my personal theory about Dighton Rock is that there's a lot of, um, it's almost like the graffiti you see by the side of the road on the highway. Right. Where you might see someone wrote Led Zeppelin and then someone on top of it wrote Mary Loves Johnny, 1962. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a mishmash of things going on. Um, but I, I, I kind of think that Dighton Rock is prehistoric. I don't think it's from 1511. Um, I think it's older than that, much older than that. And I think that it's probably Native American with there seems to be some script on it that that maybe is like from, again, like your Celtiberian or almost Phoenician times. Um, but I know that there's people who will say that I'm way off base on that. And, and you know, we all have our theories, you know? Right. Um, but the faces that are on Dighton Rock, to me, they're like a, a kind of crude uh, uh, type, you know, uh, you know, they're not very advanced faces, like a circle, almost like a, like a three-year-old would make, you know, a circle, a couple eyes, and a line. Right. You look at the Native American art that is around New England or around America, really. I mean, when they people do, when 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 they did people, they weren't very, you know, it wasn't Detailed. like a, like a, Michelangelo. It wasn't in three D. It wasn't you know, it was very um, straight ahead, very kind of crude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way. It's just that that's the way they did. That's the way they did it. You know, and. Um, so I think there's some Native American stuff on there. And, I mean, we have, you know, 10,000 years of history of Native Americans being here, so it wouldn't be that surprising. But I do think there is some script on it that's maybe non-Native. So, mm-hmm. But um, in terms of – I'm not sure if I answered the question. There, are there any <laughs> cipherments? Um, I, I wish the person would tell me which rock as I could get more specific. Okay. Um, I do feel like the one I found in Norwell has a figure that looks like an X on it. And then a line that's just one line, mm-hmm. and um, I believe if if it is Celt, if it is like in the Oum branch of script, that the X would be a a Y A sound like a Ya, mm-hmm. and the one line down would be a B. So my theory on the stone I found is that it ends in a sound that's either like Iab, or it starts with B Y A. And there was a Celtic goddess named Bianu. Mm-hmm. So. You know, or maybe somebody was just having a party and was bring your own or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Could be. Who knows? <laughs> they probably, well, they're Celtic. They might have been drinking. So there you go. <laughs> That's not the stereotypes here, you know. So, I'm Irish, so I can say that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, so there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, um, you know, with um, with all these different areas. I mean, basically, one of the things I got really interested is in learning was that you know you always feel like I guess growing up around here that you know somewhere else is exotic. You know, if you go to Bali or if you go to Brazil or Stonehenge or Egypt, it's always like the grass is always greener kind of thing. Right. And doing this research for this book, what I really have learned in the past 20 years is that Massachusetts is as weird as any place in the world, really. And we don't have Stonehenge, we don't have pyramids, but we have our own enigmas. And it is, you know, I mean, we have our own mysteries and spooky places. And, um, I mean, we haven't even touched on the whole Bridgewater Triangle and Hockamock Swamp thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, uh, but, I mean, to me, you know, I, we, I think Massachusetts is has as much as any place, you know, for interest. You know, if, if you want to delve into it, it's it's there. Um, I mean, houses that rain inside and reports of albino alligators. I mean, we've we've got strange stuff, UFOs, and you know, big feet. <laughs> it's. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. And, and there, yeah. we're always, even now, we're still finding stuff. It, it was, uh, I think, it was last summer that they found a uh, rune stone in Lawrence, Mass. Uh, in you know, there's always something. Maureen and I investigated Turtle Rock, which was in, uh, I believe, Andover, and th- that's an interesting uh, enigma in itself. And there's actually a uh, someone buried there with a sword in, in the mound uh, or uh-huh. near the mound. So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of really interesting things that are just being turned up uh, every year. Is that, Ron, was that the one that's like shaped like a giant turtle with the chambers in the sides? Yeah, that's the one that has the chamber that yeah. runs through it, and there's two separate yeah. chambers. Yeah. What a bizarre place that was. Did you see up on the hill above that is like a stone love seat? Mm-hmm. Did you see? And so if you get up um, towards the head of the turtle, if you were to go up the hill that's behind that area, by the you know with the tunnel through the neck and everything, there was um, the homeowners. I went there years and years ago, but the homeowners took me up there, and there was almost like a stone, like two people could sit on it, like a little stone throne, mm-hmm. looking down. And the, the the thing about Turtle Mound Effigy that always really blew my mind was that I guess years and years ago that there was almost like a kiosk or something put up near the lake up there, and they were selling curiosities that were found either at the mound or in the vicinity of the mound. Uh-huh. And I often wonder, what, what was sold for, you know, what, probably just... What was lost, yeah. Oh. What was lost? Because they say stuff came out of there. And I know yeah. digs were done in one of the chambers where they did find... A polished uh, salt, and they found arrowhead, and they found stuff that seemed to be pretty ancient. So I don't think that mound is a recent thing. Um, uh-huh. But you know, you wonder what was lost just by people not understanding what they were dealing with. You know, being having right. a little curiosity. Well, I mean, you know, that's, I, I mean, you t- I mean, the the best example of that, of course, is is America Stonehenge, Mystery Hill in Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, you know, there there are thousand-year-old megaliths in there and everything else, and there are chambers and everything else, uh, a, a sacrificial altar stone. But the problem was is they don't. it was cannibalized so many times and redone and redid. We, we have no clue what it originally looked like. We can only guess. So, you're I mean, exactly, that happens. I, you're exactly right. As I understand, what, there weren't a lot of tons of stone taken away for... Uh, curbs in Lawrence or something, or yeah, for construction and for the, uh, the the course the castles and so forth. Yep, so exactly right. You we don't know it was there because um, a good portion of it was taken away. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so 
so that's you know that's always uh, a downer when that happens because you know I mean it's you can never get that back you know it's right it's ignorant people who you know it's about the bottom line for them I guess but you know to, oh a friend of mine once said you know they said uh, money talks and history walks somebody told right. me <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I've got the, a standing stone here in Marshfield that I found, and that's uh, really, um, if you go to my website, the part where you can click on information about me, it says about Derek Gunn, there's a picture of me standing next to it, and I found it in July of 95, and uh, it's, every once in a while, that area of Marshfield gets looked at for development, and they want to put a few more houses out on that road there. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of houses in Marshall, but there's probably only one five-foot standing stone in an area called Devil's Hollow, you know? so Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know? Pretty unique. Any, anyway, speaking, speaking about bizarre things, we actually have to take a, a little break here and, oh, right. and play a new episode of Beyond Bizarre for my girl, Bala Ventura. Now that's drunk. A 21-year-old man in Santa Fe, New Mexico, was arrested after a harrowing police chase that resulted in the man running over his own legs. In November of 2008, the man was followed by a state police officer on suspicion of drunk driving. The man refused to pull over and the officer pursued him as he narrowly avoided several collisions with other vehicles. He finally drove his truck into a ditch and through a barbed wire fence. When the man left the vehicle, he mistakenly put it into reverse instead of park, and he subsequently fell out of the driver's side and into the path of his front tires. His truck drove over his own legs. He was arrested after being treated for minor injuries at the local hospital. A fun and freaky fact from The Book of the Bazaar, available wherever books are sold. when you run your own self over. I actually had a wedding proposal from her. She she wants to marry me so she can become Vala Van Helsink. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's perfect. I, I, I speak the truth. I don't lie. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, and uh, Leslie says Vala sounds exceptionally sexy tonight, so. <laughs> yes, I know. What, what I, a lucky I, man I will, you are. I will be dreaming of Vala tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So, um, anyways, we, we, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles, uh, Next Generation, with Ann Carrigan and Ron Kolick. And our very special guest today is Derek Gunn. Any relation to the Gunn family? Uh, Gunn I would hope so. <laughs> I would like to, you know, I don't know uh, about going back to James Gunn and Westford there, but, um, no, I, I don't know about adoption or anything, Ron, but it seems to be my name. So, <laughs> hopefully it's for real. And Derek, what is? Um, can you give people the name of your website for those who have not seen it on our Facebook page? Yeah, sure. It's uh, www.amazingmassachusetts.com. Uh, one word, no, Amazing Massachusetts altogether, no space. <laughs> and um, there's not a lot of text yet. It's kind of a new site I've built, so you can see a lot of pictures and some interesting things maybe you didn't know were around. But uh, I will be definitely developing uh, more um, to read, you know, and I'm working on that, and I want to make sure I have factual information. Um, that's one of the things I'm, I'm really kind of not obsessed with, but for my book, I really want to make sure that things are accurate. Maybe mm -hmm. that's why it's taken a while to write it, because I want um, 
I don't want, you know, a lot of times when I read books, I see things that I happen to know are wrong, you know? I mean, not all the time, but you see them fairly often. And it's like, I'd like to make sure I get it right when I do this. And um, and one thing I see a lot is, is I notice a lot of books say Hockamock is place where the evil spirits dwell. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, it's really not, I don't, I think it's completely inaccurate. Um, you really, we're, we're falling into a prejudice that our, Christian forefathers had when they thought the Indians were like devil worshippers. It's actually, it could be more accurately translated as a place with a lot of spirit, maybe, because okay. Hapamako was a sort of trickster figure in the Indian pantheon. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, Habamak or Hakamak, it's really not a place name. It would have okay. an et ending. It would be like Massachusetts, Cohasset, Manomet, Pocasset. So obviously mm-hmm. it's not a place ending, okay? But uh, Hakamak at least in my understanding from what I've read, was there was a, a god who was a trickster figure. He might lead you to the game, but he might lead you into quicksand. <laughs> uh, his, and his name was Habamako or Hakamak. You know, and these words all cognate with each other. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you'll see it in books or things about the Bridgewater Triangle. It's a place where evil spirits dwell. And that's, that's really kind of a misnomer. It's not quite accurate. Um, we're reflecting our colonial uh, past when we do that, because back then, you know, the the Christians thought, you know, they thought either we're kind of worshiping God or worshiping somebody else, right? So right. Indians believed that the good God was sort of always on your side, mm-hmm. and that the trickster God, okay, you needed to appease him. So because they saw them appeasing and doing dances and things and rituals designed to appease the negative forces, okay. uh-huh. uh, they felt that they were worshiping the devil. I that's see. Why, that's why some of these places, like my standing song, Devil's Hollow, Satan's Kingdom, you know, you get these bedeviled place names that right. I read about Lauren Coleman, and I'm still finding them on maps around, you know, Massachusetts and New England, and it has to do with, with, uh, you know, because people misinterpret what the Indians' religion was about, you know? Right. Well, Derek, you're not going to believe us. The pizza's here. I heard the doorbell, so we've got to wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Can I, from the do, dead. can I just do a, can I just do a quick thing? i just love to... If I really could, I'd like to thank all the people that helped me through the years and uh, people who've written books. There's way too many people to name, but I'd like to give uh, just a shout-out to my parents, my siblings, and my kids. Sure. And, uh, all, the homeowners, all the homeowners that were nice enough to let me traipse through their backyards. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Derek. That's it's awesome. been really interesting. And, you know, we have to sit down and talk some while because it seems like we we actually run in the same uh, places, I guess. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll have to talk soon. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It was, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Paul, oh, thank, thank you. Dessert. And you need to let us know as soon as you finish this book. I will right? work hard on it, and I will <laughs> let you know. There you go. Get <laughs> hiding. Thank you, Good night. Good night. Thank you. All right. There we go. Boy, another, he has another he has uh, a... show down the toilet. That's yeah. the way I like it. <laughs> anyway, a lot yeah. of ground to cover. Anyways, Dan, you've got a, uh, something coming up uh, next Tuesday, right? Yes. Uh, this coming Tuesday, the 27th, I'm going to be at the Wyndham Restaurant up in Wyndham, New Hampshire, and we're going to be doing a little cemetery tripping at uh, Dining with the Dead. Woohoo! And uh, woohoo! I hope you'll come and, and see me and hang out with me and hear about my uh, cemetery explorations and my little stones. And Ron, yeah, he'll be yeah. there too. Yes, I'll be hosting actually. So yes, he will. Uh, there you go. Anyways, so you can go. And to, I will uh, be drinking that night, so you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Oh boy! 
Yeah, and go to uh, your New England Ghost Project site to get tickets. Yeah, we yeah. still have some available. More it's information. Uh, NE, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, NEghostproject.com. And this weekend, oh, stay tuned. So anyways, <laughs> I guess uh, next week we're going to have Mr. Scott Stevens and... We will be talking all the way from Scotland, wherever that is. Don't you mean Stephen Scott? Whatever. Whatever. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, so come and have a martini with me at the very least next week, right? Okay. There you go. We might give one for Ron, too. <laughs> yeah, here you go. You, if you're going to hang out with me, you better drink. All right. The only way people can handle me. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, for another night, thank you all, and don't forget to go out and buy that. Cadastian Lingerie Line supports Sears. Good night. God bless. Good night. Thanks for listening, everybody. From goalies to ghosties.